Hey, Packaging Peeps, it's Velio Matos on Package Design Unboxed. All right, so today we're gonna to talk about supply chains. I mean, they are getting crushed right now. Ocean freight rates are blowing up and every port is backed up. So if you think that moving your goods by air, because somehow that's gonna be better, you're gonna be so surprised to hear that it's not going any smoother. So today I invited Thaxton Lipscomb, packaging engineer at Kimberly Clark, who's also a logistics engineer. I mean, this guy is engineering everything. That means he's not just designing packaging, he's creating the entire supply chain. So what this means for you is that you're going to get at least three takeaways. And I say at least because there's a ton of information in this. And these things are going to be super relevant, not only to today's supply chain environment, but also for building a smarter supply chain for years to come. We're designing everything from the box to the delivery system. Check this out. Number one, what the hell is ECT? If you're ordering packaging and shipping a corrugated box, you need to know what ECT means. You'll also get a few standards that you can use when you're quoting packaging. Yeah. The quality of the carton impacts your overall cost. Number two, this was new to me. They're called Incoterms. Thaxton explains how to leverage Incoterms to create a sense of urgency in delivery, but also how you can shift the responsibility to the seller. Not only that, it can also allow you to shift the cost back to the seller and determine who's responsible for payment and when. So save money and move your goods faster. You definitely want to take notes on that one. Number three, one of the biggest trends coming for 2022, reverse logistics. Forget the color of the year. Brands don't really care about superficial trends right now. It's all about consumer experience and saving money. Really, it's about saving money. Reverse logistics does both. And number four, I know I usually give you three things, but this one is so good, I got to tease it. Thaxton explains how they saved money and redesign time by changing the truck type instead of redesigning the packaging to correct transit damage. So just think about that. Instead of redesigning packaging to fix an issue that was happening on the pack, they just changed the truck. And you got to listen to it because you're not going to believe it. This is something you can do today and it won't cost you a dime. Now, before we get to the show, I want to shout out to Queen Gozar, who left a review on Apple and says, learning lots of new things. There's more to packaging than slapping graphics on a box. Vincent Villager, former Burberry director of packaging. Great line from the interview. I loved all of the sustainability information in episodes one and three, learning a lot. Keep up the good work and thank you for this. <laughs> Queen Gozar, your name reminds me of the great key master, Gozer, Vince Clortho. Now, if you know what I'm talking about, you know who the, who the key master is, leave a review and get a shout out on future episodes. All right, I can't do this without you guys, so I appreciate you doing that. All right, packaging peeps, let's get to the show. All right, thanks so much for joining us. We've got Thaxton Lipscomb. Did I pronounce that right, Lipscomb? Yes, yes, that's correct. Awesome, and you're a packaging engineer at Kimberly Clark. You graduated from Clemson yep. in packaging science, certified IOPP, certified ISTA lab pro, and you're working on your master's in logistics and engineering. So can you give us a quick rundown on, on who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, 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 so definitely. So um, like you alluded to several times, in fact, Lipscomb. Um, I am originally from the Atlanta, Georgia area. Um, I ended up going up to Clemson, um, studied packaging science there with an emphasis in distribution, transportation, and engineering, um, as well as a minor in entrepreneurship. I ended up moving back down to Atlanta after graduating, um, started my career down here uh, with Georgia Pacific at their headquarters as a packaging development engineer um, before transitioning to Kimberly Clark, where I serve as a global packaging engineer too. Um, so, some of the things that I've done um, within these two large CPG companies, right? Um, I've done a lot of commercialization of products. So things such as uh, getting products to market as quickly as possible from a packaging standpoint. Um, I've worked a lot with minimizing the cost uh, of our packaging and our operations overall from a packaging uh, point of view, as well as progressing our sustainability. Um, I've facilitated a lot of continuous improvement. Um, I've worked on the e-commerce channels, uh, business to business, so club stores, um, as well as just our business partners, um, as well as uh, the consumer market, so what you would call a retail space. Um, so that's that's primarily what I do. You know, I, I look to optimize things <laughs> from a packaging standpoint across different manufacturing aspects, uh, assets, as well as transportation modes. Cool, man. So you um, so you give us a, quite a rundown there. You've done a, a ton of different things. Now you mentioned getting products to market quickly. How do you do that? You know, what, what role do you play in getting products to market? Because I think a lot of brands today, especially a lot of like D2C startups, their big thing is we've developed a product, we're ready to launch. Mm -hmm. Now we got to do packaging. 
And then there's a delay there because one, they started too late on packaging. And then two, yeah. they don't realize how long it takes. So yeah. So what do you do yeah. to help? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's funny because I hear that all the time, right? Um, so I think that one of the things that a lot of companies need to start doing is concurrent engineering. Um, so that's bringing in all your different technical capabilities from the very onset of the project. Um, so that way that the product developers and the packaging development engineers can both um, get together and kind of work at the same time along path lines, try to reduce that lead time. Um, so what I specifically do is I work with product developers as well as the marketing category teams um, to develop our packaging. So I set the, the packaging spe uh, specifications. So everything you might think of from a, a gap, um, the fluting, uh, the box strength, everything like that, ECT. So um, from a spec standpoint, I do that. I also set out our uh, packaging standards or bill of materials. So, you know, any, any part of the function, uh, any functioning part of our packaging, right? So whether it's labels, bags, boxes, cartons, the pallet types, um, everything from that standpoint, I kind of go ahead and give my sign off as well as do the design work for that. So that's anywhere from designing actual dye lines to designing the pallet load configuration on, on tops, our tape pack systems, um, and really making sure that our supply chain is supported even after it gets to market, right? So anytime you have any kind of issues with, with packaging failure, um, damage, anything like that, I troubleshoot that as well. Making sure that our customers are satisfied with our product. How do you get that product to the market faster, like specifically? Or is it that you're, you're designing okay. everything all, all at the same time versus doing it in sections? And how does that, yeah, help? Yeah. How does that help a brand get to market faster? Yeah, so I, I think that one of the approaches that I've taken at some of the companies um, that I've been working with has been utilizing parallel pathways as, as opposed to the single pathway, which is sequential. So it's working up front, like we talked about, um, and getting in as early as possible to, to work with that. It's also uh, been a move that I've seen from the waterfall, um, the waterfall uh, process with project management to a more agile. So it's a lot of quick quick bursts of, of energy <laughs> and, you know, um, getting it done as soon as possible. So I think that's really it. And kind of being able to let yourself have um, a framework to already work from. So, you know, being able to pull from similar SKUs and things like that to try to be able to copy over specs, copy over standards. So you're not having to build everything from scratch. So having a good uh, library is, is super, super important if you're trying to be all about speed. Got it. Yeah, and that you know, I think that that's what every brand is trying to do now, especially with the way the market's going. You also mentioned, you know, specifying the ECT. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about about this? And I, I don't want to, I don't want to get too detailed on, <laughs> on corrugated board, but I think you know, a lot of times companies that don't do packaging are mm -hmm. ordering, you know, whether they're ordering their master cartons or they're ordering shipping, you know, shipping cartons. They don't know, they don't know the difference between you know a flute, a B flute. They don't know mm -hmm. what they should be choosing if it's like a 32 ECT or like a 200 pound test, right? Like, how would you explain it to a brand? Maybe not necessarily explain what ECT is, but how would you help mm -hmm. a brand decide what is the right material for their packaging? Yeah, I think that there's so much that goes into it, right? When you're looking at your ECT, so you like your edge crust test, your Mullenberg strength. Um, but also just the fluting that you choose. So one of the things that I would ask them um, is really what kind of distribution environment, what kind of supply chain environment are we putting this through, as well as what are the needs for the brand. So there's going to be certain flutes that are better for printing on. So things like a, like a B flute, B flute might not be a bad choice to print on because you don't have as much of the corrugation point uh, coming through. So you have a cleaner surface to print on. Um, whereas some, certain things, like if you're doing anything international, I might actually recommend that you do a double, a double wall or a triple wall, um, just so that it, you know, stands up to whatever kind of environments that you may be going through. So I think that, you know, when you're looking at it, it's like B and C are usually your most common for, um, for CPG needs. You know, you'll have like your A flutes um, and, and E flutes, which might be used more so for a, a pop fan or like a <laughs> very sure. micro flute kind of thing. Um, so I think it really depends on two big factors. What is your brand trying to convey? And then also what kind of environment are you going through? So I think that's kind of how you need to decide what flutes that you need, um, as well as what kind of ECT. That also depends, right? 
heavily on your environment. So I had worked on a project at one time where I was dealing with a mill down in Savannah and I was dealing with a mill up in Green Bay, um, both producing the same SKUs, same products, but end up having to change them because of the environment in which they were traveling through. So I ended up having to beef up the Savannah mills um, packaging because of that they experienced way more humidity down there. So we we're having way more bowing and whatnot when it was uh, in warehousing because of the stacking strength. So even understanding that sometimes, even because something is the same product, where you're shipping it at and where you're producing it at also is going to affect your, your strength that's needed. If you're a, if you're a startup, you're launching a product, whatever that product is that you're launching, um, mm -hmm. your focus is on the product, right? On the user yep. experience. When it comes to packaging, you look at brown, you know, brown boxes as just, these are just corrugated boxes. Like what, yeah. what, what does it matter, right? But when you're talking about stacking right. strength, International Direct Packaging is the only factory direct packaging manufacturer with global showrooms. They design and produce packaging for established luxury brands. Because IDP's team of packaging experts design and manufacture packaging, you get a more transparent supply chain. And you're also not going to be paying distributor markups. Find the nearest IDP showroom to schedule your first packaging consultation at idpdirect.com. Because IDP doesn't source factories, they are the factory. idpdirect.com. How can stacking strength impact the decision that you make on? the the outer carton why is why is that important um one of the biggest things is compression mm -hmm. um so that's really having forces pushing down from the top when you start getting into unit load configuration you start putting these boxes on top of one another four or five maybe even six um six high you start to have a lot of weight that's starting to come down especially on those bottom ones and so proper um proper comp compression and stacking strength is super important making sure that you're squarely on those corners of that pallet is going to be super important because otherwise you're going to have a lot of pressure on that, that bottom layer, which can lead to product damage and things like that. It's also super important when you're taking into account your actual product. The thing that a lot of startups care about is their product, right? And so like understanding that the rigidity and the strength of that individual product is also going to affect how strong I think that this outer case needs to be because of the fact that sometimes the product itself can actually take some of that weight and it can actually help you. Um, you also need to be really mindful of like headspace inside of it, right? Because of the fact that if you have too much headspace, you might have a lot of crushing for your bosses. So just being mindful of the fit as well as the product is definitely gonna impact your stacking strength as well as what kind of cases you need to utilize. And then when you're talking about headspace, right? So mm -hmm. if somebody's listening to this and they're not familiar with that term, can you give just a, a quick, definition of what yeah, space is? Yeah, I guess a quick and dirty version of like what that would be, right? <laughs> Explanation would be um, how much space is pretty much left between the top of your product as well as the case itself. So that that air that you would say, right. right, is in between the product and the case, that's what you would call your headspace. And, you know, one other thing too, just um, from stacking strength, it can literally mean life or death. Which oh, is, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is, which is crazy because people don't think about, oh, my box, you know, it's, it's just a box. Uh, mm -hmm. But it can literally kill somebody if you choose the yeah. wrong stacking strength. And what I mean is like, yeah. you know, when you're in a warehouse and you're stacking pallets of this product, if, you're, if your packaging isn't appropriate for the warehouse to set up, if you've got two or three pallets stacked high and that bottom box, you know, that, that bottom pallet starts to compress, that pallet's coming down and it's not like it never happens. I mean, this happens pretty, you know, pretty frequently. It yeah. Does. Yeah. I think more than people like to, to think about or admit, it definitely does happen. Um, and it's super important that you take care of things like that. You can, you know, either bring in an engineer or if you have somebody who's trained on top, you can calculate things like that um, from a top diagram as well. So I think that it's, it's really important that when you are starting to, especially if you're, you're speaking from a startup standpoint, when you start to have the kind of volume that pallets start going on top of one another, um, it's super important. I think that at a very basic level, people can even understand it when you're moving, right? So like when you're moving, you know not to put grandma's vase at the very bottom <laughs> right. in a weak box, you know what I'm saying? Um, and then put like, you know, your bowling ball collection on top. So like you just know certain things aren't going to work. Well, think about that in, a, in a, a larger scale. And that's exactly what's happening in a lot of these warehouses. Yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah, people don't you know people don't think about that. Um, yeah. And the other thing too is when you're 
Yeah, we're going to get into like some of this ISTA stuff too, but by the time it gets to the warehouse, those boxes have been stacked on top of each other. They've been on mm -hmm. trains and trucks. All that vibration mm -hmm. makes that makes your corrugated board weaker, right? It, it, mm -hmm. it shakes up those fibers. It loosens up those fibers. And now you're going to stack them up, you know, two or three pallets. And you're expecting people to be walking around the warehouse, you know, and not get crushed. Especially, especially um, in the world that we live in right now, where we're moving towards sustainability, you know, and people are trying to move away from virgin fibers. And so they're trying to do a lot of uh, post-consumer recyclables and stuff like that. So, you know, even when you're utilizing something like that, it's, greater, it's better for the environment, but you might also be sacrificing a little bit of that stacking strength. And so just being cognizant of what kind of ECT and food you're putting on something that's uh, already recycled. Yeah. So what's a, so what's a standard ECT that you would recommend? Or would you recommend somebody choose based on ECT or based on MOLA? Um, I, I work primarily with ECT. Okay. Um, just because it's, it's dealing with that edge, right? And then like the Mullen is more of a burst test, um, more of a more of an impact kind of test, in my opinion. Um, and so I definitely would probably recommend if if it's for me what I'm used to working with ECT. Um, I think some of the most basic ECTs that you're you're going to see are going to be your 32 ECT and your 44 ECT. You know, um, you got some packages that are really really heavy. You might get up there to like a 52 or something like that. But for the most part, you're going to have that 32 and that 44. Got it. And if you're doing, you know, a high recycled content, maybe moving up into a, a 44 versus maybe a little, 32. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little bit higher. Yeah. Excellent. In terms of your, your experience uh, on the logistics side, on the engineering side, mm -hmm. at the moment we're, you know, we're experiencing the highest freight rates ever. You know, we're, we've mm -hmm. got extreme delays. We've got port closures. We've even got yeah. lost containers. You know, I was reading about somebody that lost a container for like, I think like 18 weeks. It was just, yeah. it was just separate, you know, separated from the, from the bunch and they, and they couldn't find it. They could, you know, they, they could track yep. where it was in the general vicinity of the dock, but they couldn't find the actual, the actual container. Yeah. You know, 18 months ago, you could move a container for like 4,000 bucks from China to the East coast. Now it's around $22,000 yeah. for that same container. You know, brands are paying attention to logistics now more than ever. Like now it's like, yeah, packaging is great, but we need logistics. <laughs> yeah, so, so like, how yeah. does, how does logistics affect packaging? Man, it, it affects it in almost every aspect. So like having a packaging science degree, and then also I'm like you alluded to earlier, I, I'm three months away from finishing my master's in logistics engineering. And I've just been able to see so much overlap. I've also worked as a packaging and logistics engineer before. And being able to use them in, in tandem is super, super important. So even to what you were talking about earlier, um, there was a study that came out that actually 70% of all losses internationally is actually due to improper labeling and packaging. So when you think about that, it is important that we start to, <laughs> to take that kind of uh, shipping um, very, 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 very seriously. Um, I think that, you know, when you're looking at stuff like the pricing, the pricing is high right now. It is. But I don't really know if it's going to come down too soon because of the fact that you have a lot of um, priorities. So I, I know even myself um, trying to ship, ship some stuff out of California. Um, California had really, really stringent COVID, uh, COVID uh, restrictions as well as just regulations and, um, going on currently. And one of the things for them was, you know, <laughs> of course, right, essential products get moved in and out first. So that's your medical supplies, your water, um, certain foods and stuff like that. And then other products just kind of get left high and dry sometimes. But that's just the world we live in right now. Yeah. Um, just prioritizing, you know, what's, what's going to be better for, I guess, humanity, right? Um, so right now, I think that's something that, that people aren't taking into account is the fact that there are priority lists when it comes to shipping right now. So it's not just about trying to find containers, trying to find your place in the prioritization list as well. So are you saying that if I label my container essential, it'll move faster? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, look. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to read yeah. between the lines here. That I know. Uh, <laughs> if you are essential, you can be prioritized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's actually really funny. Um, but even I think what you were talking about, man, um, we're just lost. That's one of the things that we talk about anytime you're doing international shipping. What you want to do is you want to make sure that, you know, those, if you have a unit load, you want to make sure that 
each one of those individual pieces has identifier markers on it, right? But you also have to be wary of pilferage, so stealing, right, throughout the supply chain. So that's a really big thing right now, um, which is supply chain security. So a lot of people will end up using a shrink wrap or a stretch wrap to, you know, kind of consolidate their unit loads. Um, a recommendation would be to use an opaque one because of the fact that you can actually hide your brand name. Um, and okay. so one of the things is certain brand names, you know, lend themselves to a higher value. More people actually want to steal those products. So if you are going to be shipping it, make sure that you consolidate and make sure that uh, that you're using an opaque <laughs> stretch wrap or shrink wrap to hide that brand name. Because, you know, when you put something on a, on a shipper, um, after, it, you know, after it goes to the carrier, it's in their control. So sometimes things will be left out at port for a couple of days. People might be leaving it out at the DC for a couple of days. And if you have something super valuable like gold on the side of it <laughs> or, you know, or, or Apple or something like yeah. that, something, a name brand that people want and they can visibly see it, it's more likely to be lost within the supply chain. Wow. So when you're, when you're packing out your master cartons and you're palletizing mm-hmm. them, you know, each master carton has to have specific labeling on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're wrapping this with an opaque shrink wrap, then do you, ha- you have to label that entire that entire piece, correct? Like, yeah, you're just like sticking yep. on large yep. labels to tell you what's in there. So, so how do you how do you get yeah, around yeah. that? Yeah, so, so you definitely can, but then there's a lot of things. Uh, enabling technology is huge, right? So like having being able to still be able to barcode through that, having mm-hmm. FRID, which you don't even need to barcode, uh, you don't even need to scan individually. It can get just pass the sensor. And you know exactly what's in there. So there's a lot of warehousing and inventory management tools out there and technology that um, allow you to still be able to protect it by hiding the actual name, but still know exactly what's going on and where everything is. Got it. And yeah, and I'm just thinking that I'm just thinking about it from a customs perspective, right? Like just even just that mm-hmm. first entry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so upon first entry, are they still able to just to to scan that RFID and know what it is because i know you know just from experience i've heard of um, customs opening up a box just to check it right you've got to check they a can. certain amount they can right when they open that up and they look at the and you know they pull out the product and they might realize that this yeah. pack has not been it doesn't say it doesn't have country of origin on it right? oh man that's big right like all these like <laughs> that's, all these that's little huge. things that's huge yeah, like, you, like can missing. Get, you can you can get uh, detained for up to 30 days like you like your products you can get them shipped back out um they can be under the custody of border patrol like there's just so many things you definitely need to have that uh, that uh country of origin on there that's so huge into getting your product in at a, at a reasonable time because even messing that up you can really unsatisfy your your customers because they expect to get this product last month and you know or even mess up your supply chain if it's, if it's a piece that you need for production. So I think that's it's huge that you have the right markings. Um, if you don't have the right markings, there there's companies out there. Um, these carriers have connections that can actually get you hooked up with with packaging people um, specifically for your product type as well as you know whatever country you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. So like, so if if you're able to scan it through RFID, mm-hmm. but you don't have country of origin on there or some other type of required labeling on inside the box and they crack that box open and RFID doesn't really matter, right? Because RFID kind of... Yeah, no. yeah. Yeah. RFID is really just more so for inventory management, warehousing kind of situation. It's not what you need to be able to enter into a, a country's commerce. Sure. And with um, yeah. with that with that opaque wrap, uh, how's that, how's that uh, viewed with uh, customs or, or what's your experience there? Or does it not matter? Um, so from my experience, it hasn't been a problem. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure what the broad, you know, the broad community may have experienced this any other, um, but I know that is one of the things that a lot of people in the industry are starting to move towards now. Mm-hmm. Um, just especially those those more high end names, just to be able to protect themselves within the supply chain, because yeah. you're going to have things like ISF that are due like uh, I want to say like at least 24 hours <laughs> prior. So a lot of the times the uh, the port authority should be able to under to know what's coming into the port. 24 hours before it ever even before gets there. Yeah. Yeah. Especially now with, you know, boats just sitting out in the water. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they should, they should right, know what's out right, there right. weeks, weeks in advance. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so another thing too, is just, you know, because of the, because of the pricing, because of the long lead times, because of, you know, mm-hmm. importing, uh, we're hearing a lot of people talking about reshoring manufacturing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're hearing people say, well, we're going to start buying our packaging in the U S which makes mm-hmm. sense for a lot of brands. Uh, in some instances, mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't make sense for other brands, but the reality is that like reshoring manufacturing of one component, you know, which packaging is just one component of a bigger, you know, of a bigger piece. It only takes you so far, right? It doesn't take you all the way mm-hmm. because if your products are made overseas, then reshoring your packaging isn't necessarily going to be helpful, right? So sure. like if you take design and the consumer experience out of designing packaging, logistically, you know, how should you, should you look at your, at your packaging? You're saying if you take design out of it, so can you elaborate yeah. more? Yeah, absolutely. So if you take like this, you know, again, like as a designer, I'm, I'm focused on, on the user experience, on the, on the colors, mm-hmm. on the materials, all those different things. Mm-hmm. But if I take all that out of it and just focus on logistics, mm-hmm. you know, we hear a lot of times where, you know, packaging, you want to make your packaging next, you know, near where you make your product or yeah, make sure. your, you know, make your packaging near where you do fulfillment or distribution. Sure. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of the products are, are not made here in the U S you know, they're, you know, South Asia, just throughout, you know, throughout the world at this point. So how does like reshoring help from a logistic standpoint or how does it maybe not help? I think that, you know, you said you had a good point earlier <clears throat> about trying to make, make sure that your, your packaging is happening as close as possible to the product, right? Because of the fact that you're going to be, <laughs> if your product's still coming internationally, you're still going to be charged because of the fact they're still going to have to package it in something to get it here. Um, and so when, when you look at things like that, I think it makes sense in certain scenarios, especially if you have um, your product that is made locally or made in the U.S., then it can help with having that also be here. But I think that, you know, if it is made abroad, it might still be a wise decision um, to package it abroad. Now, with that being said, I think that you do need to take into account um, potentially being able to, what I've I've actually worked on beforehand too, is just moving um, production all the way outside of a country that the U.S. has no longer had very good relations with. And so moving it to a, a closer country. So even looking at um, things within North America, if you're if you are in the United States, looking at potentially moving your your entire production, or at least getting another um, qualified supplier, uh, either within Canada or Mexico, um, and being able to cut down on ocean freight, air freight, and maybe just utilizing um, truck carriers as well as rail to be able to move your product, it might be able to cut down on your transportation. So even if you don't move it all the way into the United States because of whatever whatever other business decisions have to happen. Uh, potentially being able to move back onto the continent could still cut down on a lot of that land land bridge cost. So that's the cost of transportation across sea and then across land. Um, so you might be able to do something like that um, as a, as another option or solution. You know, earlier we talked about like tops, right? So again, you know, I've, my focus is the user experience, the the design, you know, how that packaging adds value to the brand, uh, and of mm-hmm. course product protection, right? You know, I spent you know, I had a chance, and we talked about this previously. Is I had, I had a chance to build a, um, a design, a packaging design agency within a Fortune 500 company, not too long yeah. ago. And it was there that I started learning about like optimization, you know, but in detail because yeah. like I understood optimization from distribution, from assembly, from mm-hmm. you know, really from an efficiency standpoint. But what I started learning in detail working with this team was learning about tops analysis, uh, you know, pallet optimization container optimization, you know, all these different little bits of information that were almost like Tetris blocks, right? And you put it yeah. all together and it all of a sudden it can create some game-changing opportunities within your packaging. So with your experience in, in ISTA, like engineering and logistics, what's a good example of how TOPS or even selecting the right type of truck can impact, mm. you know, can impact your packaging? Yeah, so I think that, you know, um, even working, working with trying to decrease our, our damage ratios that we were having on some of our products um, with one of the companies that worked for in the past, we were having a lot of damage. And so one of the things that we wanted to look at was not only just the packaging, but also the logistics of it, right? So we were evaluating our packaging, sending it back through the lab for testing and this, that, and the other. But one of the other things that we also looked at was actually the trailers themselves. So 
within the trucking industry, you have several different shock systems. Um, but an older version of the shock systems was using springs as, as their shocks. What we actually decided to do was not only to um, implement better packaging within that, uh, that product development system, uh, that product packaging system, but also to change all of our trailers from spring trailers to air ride trailers. So by doing both, we were able to reduce the shock and vibration that the trailer experiences while also being able to improve the packaging. So when you look at things like that, we were actually over time able to come down on the amount of packaging we had to utilize because of the switchover of our trailer itself. And with being able to do that, we were able to make the package slightly smaller. That allowed us to have even more packaging uh, or even more packages of products on our pallet configuration. It was able, we were able to reduce the amount of space that we needed for warehousing, uh, which lowered our inventory holding costs from a warehousing and production standpoint. We were also able to even be able to put more products on a truck. And, you know, being able to put more products on a truck, we actually needed to utilize less trucks. And so we were able to save our costs on that, costs on the packaging, materials itself, costs on the inventory holding. But by also being able to do that, we were able to uh, increase our sustainability and lower our, lower our carbon footprint because we were using less packaging material and there was less trucks on the road um, on our behalf. Therefore, we were having less emissions. So simple things like optimizing the pallet load can greatly affect not just the packaging costs, but the warehousing costs, the distribution and transportation costs, um, as well as allow you to be able to get more product to your customer. Um, at an increased pace. Uh, and, you, and you talked about that you were having damage uh, mm -hmm. when you started looking at, at this, at just a variety of different solutions. So what kind of damage are you talking about? And what kind of damage can a brand potentially see um, in their packaging? Oh man, you can, you can <laughs> there's so many, there's so many. Uh, <laughs> I know it sounds scary, but uh, you, you could have um, shock, vibration, compression, crushing. Um, so all these different things can happen. And then you also have to take into account um, all the material handling that occurs. So even, you know, if you have different um, entities within your supply chain that are touching your, your final product, right? You might have some that care more than others. You might have some that drop it from the waist high. You might have some that put it down gently. So it's just, you can experience a lot of damage throughout your um, supply chain. So really being able to evaluate the entire thing and realizing where you're getting the most damage at is going to be crucial in trying to actually get to a root cause analysis. Um, that was something that was really, really big for us, being able to, to cut down on that by really doing root cause analysis, fishbone analysis on figuring out what is actually our problem and how do we fix it. And so what we realized was it was less so on the material handling part for us and more so on that actual ride itself. Um, and so by being able to uh, to fix the, that, that portion of that, that supply chain process, we were able to not only save um, money, but also, you know, save on our, on our footprint. Uh, and you're talking about um, vibration, drop, like all these, all these different things that can happen to your pack. Mm -hmm. uh, were, you seeing, were you seeing damage to your product or were you seeing damage to the packaging or both? We're seeing actually damage to both. Um, and depending on what your brand is, you know, even getting packaging damage could be detrimental to your brand, especially if it's customer facing. Um, and, you know, depending on what your brand stands for, even having a crushed box with a perfectly good product could still be really, really damaging. So it really depends on what your brand is, what your product is based off what you guys consider acceptable, what your co customers consider acceptable. Sure. So anything from like, anything from like crushing, dinging, even like scuffing, right? If oh, yeah. two boxes yeah. rub against each other and it shows up on shelf and it's all scuffed up. Yeah. Yep. We, you know, consumers expect perfection on shelf, right? Everything has to be everything like perfect. Like, like it was just born that way. Right. <laughs> they don't realize perfect. that like perfect. a thousand people touched it before it got to that shelf. Um, yep. So in that, all right. So what was your first, step like do you just look at the at the materials and you know work your way all the way through the truck like you talked about this fishbone process yeah 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 so no it's, it's just a tool for for being able uh -huh. to kind of 
realize um, where we're having problems within the process, right? Or where we can potentially improve our processes. Um, so, I mean, it really started, it started off with the, with the problem solving logic tree and kind of figuring it out from there exactly step by step, like where could this damage all be occurring? And then let's investigate, let's break out in the teams, let's investigate, let's see what's going on for real. So, I mean, that included everything from uh, using shock sensors and, and, you know, things like that, different technology um, to be able to actually see how it's going on the trip. It, it went from observing um, actually at the DC, at the warehouse, um, at the unloading at the customer. So it's this huge thing that has to be investigated. Um, and so that's kind of where we started. And then after identifying that, hey, it's happening on the truck, then it becomes a thing of, okay, A, can we fix the rigidity or the structure of the packaging on the truck? And then B, can we fix the truck? And then um, what we decided to do is we're going to work on both at the same time. And by being able to, to do that and collaborate on both the packaging and logistics side, we we're able to come up with some pretty cool um, solutions. Wow. And if I'm, you know, if I'm a startup out there and I'm seeing damage and I'm seeing damage to my pack, you know, once it arrives at the DC, you know, is it easy to, to, to change to a, an air ride? Like, is it a matter of making sure that that, man, that transportation company offers air ride? Is it more expensive to go from spring to air? Like, Nope, nope, typically it's not. Um, there might be independent cases where there are, but for us, it was more so just requesting. Um, because in fact, typically you're getting things based off availability. You know, sure. it's like, hey, this is what we have available. This is what we're sending to you. Because the company that I was working with, they didn't have their own fleet. Um, we were using third-party carriers. Yeah. And so really it was just, you know, a part of that conversation was, hey, like, you know, we appreciate the business. We want to continue working with you guys. But this is one of the, the new specifications that we have. You know, because there's so many different truck types out there, uh, C-Vans, intermodal kind of containers. It's really about just specking out exactly what you need and kind of presenting that. And then that's what your procurement team will go ahead and start procuring. Wow. Okay. So if you're listening to this and you're, you're seeing damage on your packaging, it might not be the packaging, right? It can be a million other things between when it gets produced to when it gets delivered. So you know, I yeah. think that that's important to kind of look at. And, you know, I yeah. never in a million years would have would have gotten as far as to find the issue in, in the trucking, right? I would focus yes. on, the, on the materials. I would focus on like different areas in distribution, but. Yeah, and I, and I, and I think that, you know, if even if you do that, that's an approach too, right? Like if, if you wanna create this super robust, never break package, right? <laughs> like you can, and eventually, right. eventually you probably will solve the problem. Um, it's just being able to, to look at it from different, different areas. Uh, really doing like a systems approach. I mean, we've had so many opportunities to to use both. I remember um, there was a time when I was working uh, with a company um, as, as an independent packaging engineer, and uh, we were shipping products through um, from the East Coast to the West Coast, and we kept having damage over there, man. Um, the product was relatively fragile. What we did was we actually used um, airbags as dunnage uh -huh. um, to try to kind of keep everything safe. But every time we, uh, <laughs> every time the product would show up broken, so didn't really understand what was going on. Uh, we ended up tracing out that exact route and whatnot, and um, found out that the airbags were actually expanding as they went over the Rockies, and it was creating crushing on the actual product itself. And so at that point, then you choose, okay, guys, from a packaging and logistics standpoint, do we a choose to replace our airbag dunnage? with another kind of cushioning system, maybe like a polystyrene or another kind of um, polymer-based medium, right? Um, or do we look to potentially just change the ride of this truck? And both would probably work, you know? So it's just looking at it from more than one perspective. It's not just, it doesn't have to just be the packaging to get the product there safely. It could also be working with logistics to get there safely. This is where, you know, I think, Brands spend a ton of money on bringing in the right agency to design their packaging, mm -hmm. right? You, you, you spend a ton of money on working with the right manufacturer to make your packaging. And there's not really a, or maybe there is, I don't know, you know, there's not really a logistics agency or the right team to hire to go through all these things for you. It's like, it's almost like a, um, you just learn by experience. 
you know, yep. you know, who's going to look at, at the route and say, oh, it's going through the Rockies and the Heights. It's going to be an expansion, right? Other than a logistics yep. team. So does that yep. exist? Does that does that exist at the moment? Like somebody that you can hire to, to bring in or? There are three PLs. I'm not sure how deeply they overlap with packaging. I know some do provide packaging mm-hmm. um, expertise or whatnot. I know uh, FedEx, for example, will they have their own packaging testing lab and a team of packaging engineers who like they can who their clients can use and whatnot. So there are teams that work within them. There are services, but I'm not sure if there's an entire company whose base is like that. You know, I, I hope to one day be in a space like that where I'm able to. Um, provide, you know, services where I can, I can leverage my packaging engineering background and my logistics engineering background to be able to create solutions um, for companies that are experiencing things like that. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a very niche area, but I mean, the savings are ridiculous. I've, I've seen some really crazy savings um, in the millions um, from being able to switch over something as small as a logistics route or something as small as, you know, the trailer size. So, so there's a lot of opportunity there, for sure. I mean, I think that people don't really understand um, just how much packaging and logistics work together. I think people know that, hey, I need it. I need a box. I put it on a truck. But um, I was dealing with a, a customer at one point in time, or a client of mine at one point in time, and um, they had their customer required a pallet. They didn't care about the grade of the pallet, the type of pallet, anything like that. It was just the type of product they were having. They just preferred that it be off the ground. That was it. So the issue was a capacity um, within the warehouse for my client. And so one of the issues that they were having was the fact that, you know, most pallets are going to be somewhere between five, five and a half or six inches tall. And so being able to store these pallets is, it can become cumbersome if you don't have the kind of space to do it. Yeah. And they were utilizing racks that I believe were 55 inches high. So one of the things that we were able to do was, just look at the, the, the packaging material, right? So looking at the pallet itself and we're able to bring in um, molded fiber, uh, molded pulp um, pa- pallets that so, actually are able to nest in one another. And so greatly decrease the amount of space that these pallets were taking up, increase the amount of um, pallets they could hold and therefore the amount of product they could ship at one time. Simple stuff. Yeah, if so you think about it, it's simple. <laughs> right. Yeah, once you get to the solution, it's easy, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, you know, e, you know, e equals MC squared is easy now, right? <laughs> right now. <laughs> He's right, already solved right. it. But like, um, so like with molded pallets, like molded pulp pallets, are those all just, are those all just fiber or is there a combination of, of, of polymers and um, fibers? So a lot, a lot of them are actually just just um, fiber. There are some that are composite that have a little bit of this and a little bit of that in them. Um, but I think that's one of the things too that, that I was uh, uh, talking to somebody not too long ago about was just like the, the change in pallet types that is, that is trending, right? So um, we know that your standard wood pallet, it can last anywhere from one trip <laughs> to right. three years. Three years, that's the typical for a lifespan for a wooden pallet. Um, and then, but it's about $25 or so average, right? Um, can be, <laughs> depends where right, you get right. it from, right? Yeah. Um, so let me put that out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, they can't hold you to you it. Have, yeah, don't hold me to it. But there's, <laughs> you know, plastic pallets out there now um, that, you know, some could get maybe four times the amount, $110 or so, but they last five to 10 years. Um, and then you can get metal pallets now that will last you about 15 years, right? And so it's just like, what is your long-term strategy as far as packaging materials? Um, as far as, you know, what does it look like uh, as far as safety? One of the things with that is, um, you know, a plastic pallet and a metal pallet are way less likely to splinter. So you're less likely to have safety issues with those. Right. So, you know, you have to think about your long-term strategy from a packaging and logistics standpoint as to what kind of materials you're going to procure. Because I think that when people talk about packaging materials, they think fiberboard, they think corrugated cartons, that bags, you know. But even that pallet, that pallet is part of your packaging materials and something that you need to also spec out and something that you need to have a strategy for. Um, and does sustainability look like for you? Like, hey, I have wood pallets, so they're sustainable, right? Or right. does it look like being able to hold a pallet for 15 years is sustainable? You know, so I think it's just so, kind of just up to your, your company strategy. All right. So if, if my company is importing packaging, 
right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm bringing it in from wherever. Mm-hmm. And I specify, I want this metal pallet. Mm-hmm. Am I paying for that metal pallet? Are you paying for it? Yeah. So that's, that's funny, right? So um, most of my international shipping experience has been with wood pallets. So I'd have to look into that a little more, but I do know, you know, one of the, one of the basic things most people know about if you're international shipping with pallets, it has to be heat treated. Right. Um, so I'd have to understand a little bit more um, in that space. But I mean, that brings me up to a great point. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if people are, you know, I think that, you know, the logistics community, especially um, international logistics community is very aware of uh, incoterms. And so um, of, of what? Of incoterms. Which is, okay, so Inco. Inco, okay. So I'm not, so familiar, actually, I'm not familiar with this. So this is Okay, great. cool. So there's 11 incoterms. And these are pretty much the terms of sale and responsibility between the seller and the buyer in an international logistics trans, uh, transaction, right? So it determines who's responsible, who's paying for the shipping, who's paying, for, who's responsible for managing the shipping, insurance, documentation, customs clearance, everything, right? And so one of the things that you can leverage in your packaging, right? Let's say that you're using a new supplier and you're um, a new supplier for a product and you're a little unsure about their packaging. Well, there's 11 incoterms with varying responsibility for yourself versus the, sell, uh, versus the seller. One of the things that you could do to leverage is um, choose something like a DDP, which is one of the incoterms, which put primarily most of the responsibility all the way till it gets up to you on the seller. So it's like a logistics way of pretty much covering yourself. <laughs> right, yeah. So if there's any damage in, in route to you, that falls on the seller. So you, you can mitigate your risk and your liability of damaged products and things like that um, just by choosing the right logistics um, terms of sale. Wow. So, I mean, it's a lot of ways to, to think about it and to reduce your, your uh, not even just um, your, your risk, but also even the cost. Because like I said beforehand, it, it also determines who's responsible for payment. So wow. you may not have to, you know, <laughs> so it just depends on which one of the 11 terms you guys decide upon. Wow. See, and that's, again, it's like from a packaging perspective, there's, there's the box, there's the bag, whatever that item is. And there's all the user experience and that's all great. And you can, you know, you can down, you know, lightweight it, downsize it, do all these different things to save cost and deliver a great consumer experience, make it really sustainable. But until that pack with product gets to the shelf, there's so many different things that happen. And if you don't have the right team in, in place, doesn't matter how great your packaging is. You could be you could be burning millions of dollars um, from not having the appropriate terms or not having the appropriate yeah. setup. Yeah, and international logistics is really interesting from a packaging standpoint. Um, one of the things, man, is uh, even people talk about loose loading versus like unitizing, so putting mm-hmm. it in your pallet, right? So you know, if you have a container, man, you can you can loose load that thing like crazy. Like you <laughs> you can put so many. You can put so many individual boxes into a container, probably fit more space uh, or fit it better in the space, right? But one so of the like biggest a, disadvantages, like a yeah. like a like a floor loaded container, you mean, or just like loose so, loose load where it's a, a variety of products. So loose load would be like um, think about you have a thousand a thousand packages from one SKU, and you just put it onto a truck, like. Just put it onto a truck, no pallet, no slip sheet, no floor load unitization. It's not shrink wrap. You're literally just pasting individual boxes wow. into, into a shipper, right? That is what, that's what's called loose loading. Um, and if you think about it, you can actually fit more product into that truck by doing yeah. that, right? However, one of the things that you have an issue with, two things that you really have an issue with, man, is that it does not allow you to utilize equipment such as a forklift. So though you're able to move more products, and some people look at it as like an advantage, I can move more products, right. you also are going to probably increase your manual, uh, your labor costs, because people have to manually pack and unpack this container, right? In addition to that, you're also, going back to that supply chain security, increase your likelihood of pilferage. Because if you have a thousand boxes, it's way easier if there are a thousand boxes to end up with 998 right. than if <laughs> right. you had... <laughs> Then if you had, you know, 10 pallet loads to go down to nine, nobody's going to steal a whole pallet load. You know what I'm saying? So um, it's just interesting when you have to think about things like that, 
or even when you're thinking about utilizing what you were talking about earlier, containers um, versus, you know, something that we call like a break, break bolt. So just putting, putting them into like the hole of a ship. Utilizing those containers, utilizing a 20-foot or 40-foot sea van, um, you can actually save up to 30% on your ocean or air freight shipping. Um, and, you know, it's also super great because that's a, if you can use this in a modal, in a modal transportation, so the second it gets off of the ship or the plane, you can put it right onto a, a, a truck or onto a, a rail. So, you know, there's a lot of things to think about um, when you are moving these packages, you know, and I think that that's something that we don't talk enough about in the uh, packaging community all the time, but I'm no, not really, all. really broad. We're really, really broad, but, you know, just things like that can greatly increase your costs <laughs> if yeah. you don't pay attention to them. Yeah, of course. You know, and, and it's funny because like a lot of times brands are like, well, can we, you know, what if we reduce this tuck flap by an eighth of an inch? Can we save a penny? You know, and it's like they're, they're fine, fine tuning the pack to save pennies when, you know, if you, if you take a broader view and a broader approach mm-hmm. to this, you can save millions. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I know I, I had worked on a project before, man, um, where they wanted to produce six cases, so a, a six pack case, right? So let's say it's a, a can of soda or a can of whatever the beverage you like, right? And they want to put six of them into a carton. Well, the production was making like, let's say four. So production would come out four at a time. So what you're <laughs> end up having an issue with is, you know, you, now you're having to wait for right. another cycle to come through in order for you to actually start that packing pop process. And so one of the things we had to do was go back, talk to marketing, um, looking at that systems approach, right? How sensitive is our customer to a six pack, <laughs> you know, and, and depending on what they say, because we could make a four pack configuration super, super quick. It wouldn't hold down. It wouldn't slow down production or warehousing or anything like that, you know? And then the alternative is, okay, if they are married to the six pack, then maybe we look at doing something like maybe either adding an accumulator to our packaging line. That way we can, you know, kind of get everything together at one point in time right. or maybe even like ramping up and switching out some of our production equipment so that we can start to make them six at a time. So it's, it's not just one solution or the other. If you look at it from a broad standpoint, you start to get way more options, way more flexibility. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome, man. Thanks, man. I, that's, you've given me a lot to think about. And I think anybody listening to this <laughs> should go back and listen to it again because there's a ton in here. And I think if you're working with a, uh, you know, a packaging agency or a packaging manufacturer, uh, mm-hmm. you know, 3PL. I think there's a lot of information in here that you should go back and ask some of these questions. You know, I think go back and ask them because uh, there's a yeah. lot of cost savings that happens here. You know, this is big dollar cost savings versus, you know, pennies on, on cost savings for packaging. Uh, but yeah. What I like to tell, you know, what I like to tell brands that I'm working with is, look, if I can save you, you know, if, if we can adjust the palletization on here, you know, get more, get more SKUs on here, save money in this area mm-hmm. you don't have to you don't have to pocket that money you know those savings don't mean you have to put them in your pocket those those savings you can actually put them back into the packaging and get some of those other yeah. additional processes get better material and deliver a better experience but as we start wrapping up man like what gets you excited like what about packaging gets you stoked like when you wake up in the morning you're like man i can't believe i get to do this like yeah. what what is that for you Man, I love looking for solutions. Um, I love thinking, out, out, no, no pun intended, outside the box. I love uh, one of my biggest passions, right? Even though I'm still work, I work a lot with and studying a lot with like the logistics engineering portion. Um, I love that packaging design portion. I love being able to commercialize products. I love um, being able to interact and, and be able to see something on the shelf, right? So not just like all the behind the scenes, but also that graphics work, that, that structural design work. I think those things are really, really cool because they allow you to communicate a brand. Um, but I think that the other parts are uh, super important, too, because they allow you to sustain the brand from a financial standpoint, from a reputation standpoint, from, a, you know, stuff like that. So I think that the ability to work in so many different aspects of packaging has been super awesome. It's something that I really, really, really enjoy. Um, yeah, and I think it's always something to learn. There's so much new technology, new materials always coming out that, you know, um, if you ever feel like you're getting board and packaging I do that in airport, <laughs> then um there's something else in packaging for you to do yeah um and so i think that's super cool um that really gets me going man 
Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and, and in terms of like what you've talked about today, you've talked about working with a ton of, you know, just really big brands. Mm-hmm. But what about like, what about a startup? You know, if somebody is out there in a startup, like does, do startups get you excited? Is that, is that fun as well? Oh, or is man, it just a big I love, problem? I love, no, I love startups, man. So I've <laughs> actually, man, I've been working with startups for like the last three years. Um, of course, nothing that interferes or competes with my, with my, my, my full-time gigs, right? But love working with startups. It's, it's so exciting to me. Um, I, like I said before, my minor is entrepreneurship. Yeah. Uh, that is something that definitely gets me going. Um, I love being able to see new companies come into spaces and being able to help them out because I think that these, these years of infancy are super important in you know, seeing what kind of market share will they have. Will they even stand the test of time? And being able to influence that is huge. Um, and there's, yeah, man, like I, I love startups. I love startups, <laughs> love them, love them, love them. I have traditionally worked with bigger companies, um, but I have a plethora of startups that I've worked with as well. So definitely love that. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, just advice to startups, <clears throat> I think like from a logistics standpoint, going back to that, um, there's definitely some trends out there that, that you guys should catch on to um, earlier. Um, I think that one of the things that we're seeing right now, because I know a lot of people are selling through online stores and uh, Amazon e-commerce and stuff like that, is really taking advantage of the, the reverse logistics. Um, it was something that's always been big with food and pharma because of recalls. But now you're seeing more and more, you know, if you're going through Amazon, you can return your stuff, right? So like it's affecting packaging though, because in fact, there was a time when you might get a poly bag and it was heat sealed. But now a lot of those bags are coming with zippers and clips so that you can kind of, you know, send it back if you don't need it anymore or don't want it anymore. So I think being customer focused, not even just from a forward logistics, but also from a reverse logistics standpoint. Um, And I think this is going to be a really good time for uh, any company that has to do anything with cold chain. It's going to be a really good time for you because of the fact that there have been so many improvements in cold chain packaging and transportation because of the vaccine, because of the fact that it had to be transported in a, in a cold kind of environment. Um, there's been so many leaps and bounds in that field. So if you have frozen product or anything like that, I think these next few years is, is going to be good for you because there's so much more technology out there now. Wow. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Thanks. And I, I really appreciate it. So if anybody's out there and they want to get a hold of you, they want to ask you more questions, if there's a startup out there that, you know, sees uh opportunity to to work with you or just learn from you what's the best way for people to get a hold of you yeah no definitely uh reach out to me on linkedin facts and lipscomb um i'm sure my name will be like on whatever (laughs) (laughs) i guess like the the, yeah the uh the send out but um that is my name and the best way to reach out to me is on linkedin um i have a ton of ideas to uh really unique ideas and perspectives to be able to save you money save you damage and um, I don't, like I said, don't just work on the logistics uh, engineering side, but I also do a lot of commercialization um, and things like that, too. So if you want to get it out there, I can get it out there to keep it safe and move it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate you being on here. I really do appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us. Like I said, man, there's just so much uh, information out there in terms of uh, the, there's a ton of information out there in terms of like designing and, you know, how to, how to package product and how to get it on shelf. Mm-hmm. But everything we talked about today is like, I don't know, it's like, it's like, it's like hidden somewhere, right? People focus on yeah. the design because you can go to a packaging agency's website and it's like, wow, this is so beautiful. But yep. all the stuff that happens behind the scenes uh, is really what makes a difference. It's where you're going to save the most amount of money. It's where you're going to make the most amount of money. Um, it's where you're yep. going to deliver you know, great experience when you're talking about reverse logistics. If I can put my product back in the zipper, in the bag and zip it up and, and send it back, it's so much easier than for me to have to try to find a box, you know, try to oh, pack yeah. it up. You've got to get yeah. it. You've got to like unpack it. You've got so many different things that has to happen on, on the back end. So interesting that yeah. reverse logistics is, is, yeah. is and, uh, and, something to look and, at. And with that e-commerce, definitely, like you were saying, and on your side, definitely make that packaging on e-commerce pop now. It is about an unboxing experience now from e-commerce. It used to not be, yeah. um, but I know even for myself, ordering things during the pandemic, I realized even from the same company, that there's been drastic improvements in the unboxing experience. So um, think about that too as a startup. Just think about you know not just putting in a brown a brown corrugated box, but make it make it something that's a wowzer. Yeah, love it, man. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, man, so much. Uh, appreciate your you hopping on here. 
Definitely. I appreciate you having me, man. All right. I got a ton of information from Daxton. I learned a lot. There's a lot of things in there that I hadn't even thought about in the past. Really helpful. I think it's always great to have these conversations. If you're interested in learning more about Daxton, reach out to him on LinkedIn. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about supply chain, stick with Package Design Unboxed. Leave a review. We're going to have more guests on here to get further into supply chain as well as sustainability and design. All right. Thanks so much for Daxton and being on. And thank you guys for listening. We'll talk soon.